0: Welcome to the Positive Impact Podcast, where we dive into the world of movers, shakers, and change makers, creating a positive impact on the world. This is your host, Alexandra Black Pollock, and together we're going to tackle real issues, discovering how we can make the world a better place. This episode is brought to you by HelloFresh. Tired of the grocery store? Looking to spice up dinners? HelloFresh delivers delicious ingredients and easy recipes straight to your door. Take $40 off your first box at positiveimpactpodcast.com slash fresh. You'll be enjoying cooking again in no time. Today I've got an exciting guest joining me, Mayor Dehan, CEO of Prime 5 Homes founder of Dahan Properties, and founder of Dream Builders Projects, exemplifies a mover and shaker. To start, he's working on revolutionizing the housing industry through going beyond the green credentials, creating homes that are incorporating recycled materials, solar panels, water, capture systems, and more. Then, to go even beyond the environmental impact, he's also focusing on social issues through Dream Builders Project. This action-based nonprofit is working to address LA's most pressing issues. Well, wow, Mayor, I can't tell you how excited I am to have you joining me today.
1: Uh, thanks for having me on, Alex. I'm excited as well.
0: So what I really wanted to dive in here was the environmental impact of the homes that you're dis- you're building. The term green doesn't quite do them justice. Can you tell us a little bit about them?
1: Sure. Um, to sort of encapsulate the concept of green, we it's not necessarily the old traditional idea of this hut made out of recycled materials or... Some sort of like old archaic design, it's a very modern, luxurious, um, beautifully appointed and finished house, yet we found a way to integrate pretty much most of what uh, technology and society can offer as far as green goes. Uh, That includes, but not excluding, solar power, water capture system for irrigation, recycled materials recycled finishes smart homes led lighting um and the list kind of goes on and on and we we have enjoyed the uh the benefit of being able to build these beautiful homes and sort of integrate eco-friendly standards without we choose to do them it's not necessarily something we're told to so we we love it and we know it's good for the environment too
0: I'm really glad you touched on the luxury aspect, because one of the things you find in environmental homes right now, or maybe just in the more eco-friendly space, is there's this big movement towards the smaller home and finding ways to live in the smallest space possible. But that's not the types of homes that you guys do.
1: Yeah, there's, we have nothing against the smaller uh, micro homes. They're a great concept. They're a good idea for a lot of people. What we're trying to do is find a transition from the standard of housing we have now to something we want, which is a more substantially eco-friendly, modern, totally all-inclusive look. And the only way to do that is to sort of offer it to everybody. So we're trying to find a way to include certain things that you would never often find in these houses, in these, you know, two, three, four million-dollar houses. But we're giving it to the customer, allowing them to sort of become a champion of that cause. And uh, we've had great you know, reviews so far, and people seem to really enjoy these houses and living in them.
0: So when you say things that aren't traditionally in these homes, can you kind of give us a little bit of a teaser what that might be?
1: Yeah, it's sort of, it's what the eye can't see is the secret. Um, it's not, it's all about trying to hide it as best, so... On a house we have coming up at the end of this year, uh, we designed it to be so such an open floor plan with so much window space in every location strategically placed that the whole house is so well lit there's never a need to ever turn on a light before seven p m and being able to reduce water usage by eliminating you know grass lawns and replacing them with beautiful courtyards and you know olive trees that are that have the ability to pull water from underground instead of needing direct irrigation. All these small little things along with, uh, my favorite is using reclaimed wood to to finish the house on the exterior or the interior because people love it, but that's something that's extremely renewable. And it's more expensive, so it fits perfectly with the luxury category anyways because we can give somebody something beautiful while being great for the environment and everybody's happy.
0: I absolutely love that reclaimed look. Yeah, so snazzy. Me too. So let's talk a little bit about the impact. So these homes that you're doing are typically in the L.A. area. Correct. So obviously water efficiency is huge because Southern California has been in a drought for quite some time. Can you talk to you a little bit like how effective this water efficiency is or how much you guys are reducing the water impact from these homes? Sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh- in many different aspects, we try to attack that, and as the years have gone on, the drought has become a bit worse, so we've you know tightened up a little bit. We started off initially with special plumbing systems throughout the house that allow a very low amount of waste, all the way from using smart toilets that have certain settings, using special pools that don't burn as much water, and special fixtures throughout the house that are low usage. But we've bumped that all the way up to designing custom water capture systems and irrigation throughout the house that can grab gray water or runoff or, or rainwater and store it in an underground plumbing system and refeed it. So we found a way to, to save water and create it to be something of a more passivity so it's not a hassle for the customer to, to do it at the same time.
0: Now, you touched on the lighting in the house and how you guys really incorporated natural lighting. Are there other ways that you're bringing energy efficiencies to these homes?
1: Sure. Um, By uh, making each home a a very efficient, smart home, the house is completely integrated and controllable by different um, iPads throughout the house or by the customer's cell phone. It allows them to turn off or on the AC or certain appliances, lights, the house is intelligent enough to recognize when nobody's home and turn things off when the customer is gone, and also turn things on when the homeowner comes back, along with uh, yeah the LED lighting, the windows throughout the house, and um, a couple other special features that uh, we'll come out with at the end of the year.
0: Oh, exciting. So why is it so important to kind of have this transition to the energy-efficient homes? I know you've put a lot of emphasis on redefining the way that we approach the housing industry. Why does that matter?
1: Uh, um, Traditionally, I have two ways of answering this question. Um, My business side says that it's the natural transition to a new technology market that we haven't had before. It's it's definitely a a finer, more high-quality market. I like to compare it to kosher and unkosher food. You may not need to be Jewish to enjoy a a higher standard of uh, food quality. And I think these eco sustainable houses i don 't we don 't talk about it very often, but they 're very resistant to earthquake and fire, very resistant to toxicity to the customer and any sort of damage to the family. These sort of things are amazing for everybody, along with the the more pressing fact that you know our environment is is struggling, and you know primarily I would believe that we 're part of the cause and anything we can reduce anything we can do to reduce the carbon footprint of building while allowing the the community to grow and move forward would, would be a great asset
0: great now is that the both ways that you answer
1: yeah it's okay. it's 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 difficult to separate them but it is an environmentally conscious side and a, a fiscally understanding of moving forward and progressing
0: i love that you bring up the fiscal importance side are you finding that buyers want these more environmentally friendly homes? All
1: right. That's, a, that's the funnest question of all. Um, it, it definitely – when the customer moves in, when the family finally gets settled in, every single family becomes a champion of this cause. They become a lover of the ideology of helping the environment and and not contributing to the waste and the carbon footprint. However, before the fact, it's not necessarily – indicative that we're quite there yet i don't think people are quite ready to spend as much money as they have to to really help the environment so our job is to try to incorporate everything we can and not hand the cost down to the customer to sort of retain the cost and make it more about our company's ideology of having good homes and having a long future even if we're making Um, slightly less because we're including all these things, I think it's okay because we're going to get that back in a bit of corporate karma, which I know um, we talked about before is one of my favorite things.
0: So let's dive into corporate karma since you brought that up. Okay. (laughs) I know that was a short question.
1: No, it's You can edit this.
0: I know, it's my favorite piece. (laughs) Uh,
1: Corporate karma is an idea that's I stumbled on about five years ago. Um, it came off the idea that if you really believe in karma being a true thing in the world, which I do, you have to presume that corporate karma really does exist too. And if uh, corporations are to be considered people and if corporations are to be run by people, they must have some sort of sensitivity to you know their community and their responsibility to the people in that community that they serve. So, I created a policy years ago where everything we did, every dollar we made, a portion of that would go back to nonprofits and to enrich our own community so we could give back and it just sort of domino effect from there into a whole bigger
0: project altogether. One of the things you were touching on was that the client is hasn't quite adjusted to paying higher costs for the home yet one of the great things that you emphasized was that you have to make the product amazing. And not only does it have to look and feel like all the other luxury homes on the market, but also has to have those cost-saving features with energy. Can you just kind of touch on maybe your journey coming to that conclusion? Because I know a lot of social entrepreneurs struggle with the concept that the product has to be amazing. Not only does the cause have to be amazing, but your product has to really stand out for buyers to respond to it.
1: Correct, yeah. There's uh a... there isn't one with the other, I think, and I, I'm not sure you can succeed in any industry by purely having a great product or purely having a great philosophy. But the two have to sort of meet somewhere in the middle, and um, we try to incorporate that as much as possible by giving people these eco-friendly, sustainable homes. And I know I say that a lot, but we try to like cover the gauntlet in what it is to be eco-friendly but you would never know that you would never come in and say oh that's an eco-friendly house or oh look at that because none of the the attributes of the those eco-friendly assets are something visual or or something you can you know work with they're all things that are hidden and incorporated behind the scenes they're things that that come through passivity that don't involve the person to do day-to-day assets or day-to-day activities yet the person is helping the environment more than everybody else in the block and they just they just don't quite have to do anything. It's it's sort of a beautiful thing to give back without having to sort of necessarily like do something every day.
0: It brings a great point. The easier you can make for the consumer to do good, the easier you're going to have in just in your business model achieving your mission and ultimately having your business grow and thrive. With these luxury homes, obviously there's a lot of costs currently in a lot of the things that you're doing whether it's from the Lighting from the iPads, controlling all of that. Currently, it's in the luxury market. Do you see this eventually, the cost coming down and being able to bring this to a different market?
1: I think about it a lot. Um, The idea of being able to bring it to the masses um, on a larger scale is exciting. I think in more technical terms, I'm the first company to bring these sort of attributes into that size luxury home. These sort of things are only found in 15 to $20 million homes, and we're trying to bring it as close to the consumer as we can, but those things are out of our hand until the industry and the technology sort of speeds up to make them more affordable. Solar power, solar panels have been pretty much cost locked in for the past 20 years, even though technology has moved forward. And all the other things are pretty newbie, so... Uh, it, falls, it falls down to a, uh, the fact of you know, a builder, no matter who he is, can't reduce the cost of his goods. So we need to, to get everybody involved, the government, is, to create subsidiaries to, to sort of back these projects so builders like myself can create slews of homes that will benefit everybody, including the environment.
0: What we're really waiting on then is both the technology and kind of almost the culture to catch up with this.
1: Mm-hmm. Correct.
0: You mentioned kind of solar. Uh, There's a lot of debate in the energy-efficient world or just in the energy world on kind of what the future of energy is. I'm curious, with kind of your boots on the ground in the housing industry, where do you see the future going, whether it's with the solar, with wind, with nuclear? Kind of what are you seeing play out best?
1: For right now, I see there being like a happy medium between all the different ideologies, meaning that You know, solar power or anything is not a solution. There isn't one solution to any of the problem. We are going to move forward, I think, in our way of thinking. But it's a matter of everybody coming together to decide, let's take care of our environment without necessarily, you know, taking things away from citizens that they've become accustomed to. And I think people are fearful that the movement means less for people. and, And it shouldn't mean less it should just mean doing things differently. It's not about you know shampooing your hair or not shampooing your hair. It's just about using a different kind of shampoo than you've been using traditionally. We're just asking people to uh, switch out their products and pick products that are more environmentally friendly, go the step farther, and, you know and try to have a home that you know is going to contribute to a better future for your children and their children.
0: As current homeowners or renters... Within that mentality of things, little things that we can do to be more environmentally friendly, are there certain things that we can incorporate now uh, before the technology and the culture catches up?
1: Sure. Um, just one warning. Be very careful when you know, endeavoring into the eco-friendly industry because there are a lot of things out there that seem to be good ideas but haven't quite caught up technologically quite yet. As a homeowner... There's a lot of things you can do. Uh, Landscaping-wise, you can try to remove a lot of the green grass and the trees and shrubbery that don't contribute and maybe replace them with more valuable greenery and more drought-resistant plants. Uh, Try to, you know, if you're going to put additions onto your house or remodel, try to add more windows, add more in-and-out space, uh, create more... Create more things in the house that that make you feel more comfortable being outside, which is going to help you understand more about your environment. So we're trying to get people to get out of their houses a little bit and enjoy the space around their house, which I think is going to make them appreciate their environment a little bit more and maybe try to do as much as they can.
0: Are there any other general comments about eco-friendly or environmental, whether in the construction space or just general?
1: The misunderstanding or the misconception of people about solar power. And I think a lot of builders think that they can just decide if they want to put it on or not because of uh, profits. But that's really that's not the right way to do business anymore. And as we build homes, we must put solar power... Uh, panels on each of these homes because the wastefulness of not having them there is, is something we can't sacrifice right now. We need to consume all that free power because it's available and we're just burning fossil fuels to replace them. So I think we should all jump on that as soon as possible.
0: That's a great point there. Uh, there's a challenge between doing good and making money. And I'm curious how Prime 5 Homes accomplishes this.
1: Okay, great question. That was my first struggle. Um, many years ago how to how to force a company to do good when many of the pieces inside of it just want to continue to make money and they want to profit um, the goal is to create it, an idea from the onset that all the money that you're making while it is yours it's just a temporary gift from your community and it's your responsibility to give some of that back and and If people are trying to find a way to justify um, being charitable through their corporation, there is no better facet to market your firm or to get your name out there than in acts of goodness and kindness in your own community. And if you're trying to find a way to get your company to grow or off its feet or through some sort of slump and you want to go and blow some money on something, why don't you blow it on charity? Because that's the most impactful way to get spirits up to get things moving and to get the proper karma on your side
0: it also builds trust with your community
1: absolutely people
0: like to do business with those they like know respect and trust so in some ways whether through marketing efforts or not charity seems like the best way to go because you're going to build trust the fastest through that have you seen that circle back
1: Uh, i sure have i see it in more of a indirect way than a direct way sometimes. Um, I don't necessarily think that by doing charity, people are going to go out and buy your homes more than others. But I think when you look at a company as as a being and as a life force, this is what our company needs to stay alive. This is what our employees use to stay spirited. And this is what we keep as our guiding light as we move forward, that part of our process is to help and give back. And we've always found that it's been very emotionally fulfilling for us as a company to have that.
0: I love that you brought up the idea of the company as a living force and the people in it. I'm kind of curious how you built this company culture and what role this model plays with the company culture.
1: I I came up with this culture over many years um, through trial and error. Uh, the idea is that... in. That old corporations, the way they are, while they do make money, I don't see them as successful models necessarily. I see the lack of uh, emotional connection, the lack of happiness throughout most of these corporations as being an an indicative problem of most of our companies. So what we did is, um, through trial and error, of course, we tried to hire people who had these ideals and policies, and then we tried to invest in those people and to hope to God that that investment will somehow come full circle and we'll be surrounded by a diligent, intelligent, loyal staff of people who know how to work towards a greater goal. And so far with our short amount of years and limited amount of finances, we have outcompeted many firms, we outshine most firms, and we have more fun doing it. So I think it's been a success.
0: You talked about trial and error especially as far as building a culture what has been one of your biggest mistakes
1: I think as a as a boss or as an employer my biggest mistake was probably being too harsh and too too difficult with people when i had my goals and dreams in mind but as a as a company it's a great idea to be you know passionate and focused and push hard as a person, it's very hard to endure and it's very hard to push people and to go through that. But I think our our overall level of hunger and the overall level of responsibility and emotional intelligence our company has is what is what helps us grow so well. And even though the economy's been tough and it's been up and down, um, we just fight through and we use the for-profit and non-profit sectors to sort of you know to sort of survive all these storms and we go back and forth to sort of find a balance and it's i found that there's a lot of happiness in that there's a lot of happiness in making money and building and creating beautiful things and then stepping aside and giving back and loving strangers and 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 that all together seems to be a balanced like work family life environment for everybody
0: that was amazing when you're building this culture how do you find the people who have that hunger that drive that willingness to commit to what basically is your dream until they fully come on board
1: i think that's where that trial and error comes into play the most over the last 10 years i've been hiring and letting go many people um mostly having people leave me for the most part um because we were trying to figure out what we were doing, and we started from very humble places. Um, I'm just a kid from L.A. I didn't have much to get anything going, but um, I tried my best. And through hiring many, many scores of different staffs and groups of people, I've learned how to identify these factors in people that are most important, which is you know, an understanding of of self, but really... Of your purpose in your community and your power and your ability to change the world, and trying to find people who can understand how to like people who understand how to to love even those they've never met, I guess, and to really feel empathy and those attributes when you when you mush them together and you sprinkle a little bit of a, of love and care and attention from our side. It seems to bring out something very special in people. It seems to bring out this uh it's almost like a cult without any of the negative like accolades that cults have like there's all the love and heart and friendship there, but you know people believe in this because they've seen it happen. I've showed them how this works, and I have a staff of amazing groups of people who are who help us enter the world and create changes in all sorts of categories in real estate and and in other fields too. So it's been amazing.
0: This idea of empathy is something that has shown up in several episodes. Recently, Anna Lenhart with NGS Movement was talking about how important that is for people to work in the nonprofit sector so that they can actually take empathy to the for-profit sector. But you've actually come to a unique spot where you blend the nonprofit in the for-profit Correct. And so I'm curious how that kind of works in the blended model. Uh any challenges that you've kind of run into that blended model or ways that it's been ab- you've been able to leverage it further?
1: For many years I think I would uh I'd be sort of shy at talking about this or maybe not shy but hesitant about sharing my ideals. Um, we tried to be as mysterious as we could when coming up with this many years ago, but um, this is as good a time as ever to talk about it.
0: Um, well, thank you for sharing.
1: <laughs> many years ago, uh, when I was trying to grow uh, the real estate firm, I, I used to go out and search for very smart, intellectual people. And I started a small think tank. And that think tank would help me evolve my own ideas and execute them because uh, alone I wasn't able to do much. And what ended up occurring was the think tank ended up becoming its own company in its own. And that company has a name. It's called Dahan Properties. Now, Dahan Properties' purpose was to oversee the dealings and the entrepreneurial you know, aspects of what I was creating, especially the real estate. And what ended up occurring was four years ago when I started to found the nonprofit, Dahan um, Properties being separate from the real estate, was able to sort of micromanage both at the same time. And so what we had was a staff of people, a group of people, who were working on for-profit and non-profit things in the same day, at the same time, trying to keep an overall uh, view of everything and find a way to smash them together. And it's, it's been amazing. We've created campaigns and things that have never been done, uh, we've accomplished things that I doubt any company as small as ours has ever accomplished. Uh, and we're at a level of, of those non-profits and for-profits where we don't really strive to compete with people. We just try to push the bar farther and farther. We try to see how much we can create a new idea where... Business is for profit, but it's also for helping people too. And there should be a blended model of both where a corporation, if it's wealthy enough, should have its own nonprofit sector that gives back and empowers its community. It's a very healthy cycle. Um, And it definitely keeps the workspace extremely exciting and fun. And for somebody like myself who can't really stay still, um, it's been a godsend because I really enjoy the back and forth between one thing and another. And I love nothing more than walking into like a, a corporate real estate meeting with those emotions of like love and empathy just falling off me as I walk in because at the end of the day, it's a higher way of thinking, and it over, it always elevates me over other people and allows me to accomplish huge things.
0: You described accomplishing different things, whether it's new in the marketplace or just things that have been un- never been done. Can you tell us, uh, tell us about some of those?
1: We tried to support other companies and to grow our company by going off older concepts and just moving them forward where other people couldn't. It first started in real estate with Prime 5 Homes and its ability to transform itself into a completely eco-friendly, sustainable firm – Unlike other companies that struggled with that transformation, we were more nimble and versatile than anybody else, and we went there without any of the hassle or problems other people had because they already had a routine set in stone. And with our nonprofit sector, we we took the position of of broker slash executor of of social campaigns, so where people couldn't really accomplish things, where they couldn't really bridge the gap between idea and execution, we would step in as a group and fund it and execute it and push it until it actually came true. My favorite thing is our last human trafficking campaign that we just did last week. Um, it's a funny story where several months ago, I was searching to find a a very meaningful campaign so I could do something for January next year. And the human trafficking aspect came into play and it seemed like something very viable. Uh, What I wanted to do was create a digital campaign to sort of shine as much light as I could. And when I entered the world trying to create something, I found that there were a lot of separate people all over the place trying to do the same thing, but unable to come together. So by the nonprofit, by our charity, the Dream Builders Project, stepping in, we were able to organize production firms, photographers, creative artists, videographers, And scores of different people and and many different models and actresses to come in and to organize and create a huge photo shoot and campaign to benefit the not-for-sale charity. And uh, the story is people have been trying to push that particular campaign out for four or five years so far and have been unable to. And by having a nonprofit like the Dream Builders, it doesn't necessarily have... Anything it has to do, it can sort of go where it needs to go and help where it needs to help, which is a lot more valuable than than sometimes what we have available right now, which is very stringent and, and tight.
0: I'm really glad that you d- dove into the Dream Builders project because it's such a unique nonprofit model in general, especially having the business piece attached to it. One of the biggest struggles I've seen nonprofits do is never being able to have the business mind. And they always have the heart for good, but never the business mind behind it. So you guys are actually creating a huge impact through what is a very small nonprofit. And I would love to kind of hear what inspired you to create this nonprofit the way that you did and what your goals are for it with the future.
1: The nonprofit was inspired. Uh by a very close friend of mine passing away about 4 years ago and it saddened me a lot that you know something really awful had happened to a friend of mine and I wasn't quite available to do something about it because I was busy working and ironically I ended up with the idea that um in order to feel better I had to start being of service you know when the time was available and it sort of just you know it took over because what ended up being something for me to to sort of heal myself and to grow out of a, maybe a dark place ended up being my my complete you know life's purpose and the best thing about it is the connection between the for-profit and non-profit by attaching my for-profit and pulling revenue from that annually to fund my non-profit the Dream Builders project can do certain things that other nonprofits struggle or, or are completely unable to do. Um, the most important is we don 't have a fee or a service charge for anything. we service and help dozens of nonprofits we finance them we have huge uh, charity galas and poker events. we remodel orphanages and have you know homeless people food drives. Uh, it also allows us to I think most importantly, have a business mindset without the the need to go and make money. Mm-hmm. So we're not out there chasing to try to get people's money. We're not out there trying to raise revenue. Uh, we keep 0% of proceeds for ourselves. 100% goes to nonprofits. And we're just out here to, to sort of bring that business concept and that powerful hand that business has into the nonprofit world and maybe make things a little bit more... Professional and on the up and up, which I think the nonprofit world has been struggling with.
0: Also, with the for-profit, the way that you've structured non-pro- your nonprofit is the for-profit and the nonprofit really go hand in hand, where so many people try to draw a very stringent line between the two. So I'm curious your view of how the how for-profit plays a role in creating change. I think
1: uh, for-profit is the instigator to change. It's the it's uh, the straw that broke the camel's back as far as getting getting up and doing something. We do have a very stringent line of, of separation between for-profit and non-profit. But all that means is the directional of support has to be going one way. And Prime 5 must be supporting dream builders. And there is no reciprocity clause inside of that. There is no back and forth. There is no... Uh, assistance to be lent to, to Prime 5 Homes from Dream Builders. Dream Builders should be a part of our company that costs us a lot of money and that we invest into because it's part of our overall image and our overall community and our future. Maybe not today, but maybe next year or the year after that. And by having them connected, the Dream Builders can Sort of work in the highest level of nonprofit without having to quite be the highest nonprofit out there. We don't, we're not creating millions of dollars of revenue every year, yet we're creating millions of dollars of events every year. And which means we're involving as many people as we can and bringing something that was never there before and that ironically nobody else wants to do. There are no competing nonprofits like ours. There are no um, other nonprofits who are just primarily there to create campaigns and execute other people's charity for them. And so we're just here to help people. We really don't have – the for-profit or nonprofit really don't have a say in it, and they just want to see good things be, you know, be done around the community.
0: In this model of really creating and basically executing other nonprofits' missions, you have to have a lot of weight on partnerships, and I would love if you could touch on the role that partnerships played and maybe the challenges that you've come creating those partnerships.
1: Yeah, I'm going to get in a lot of trouble <laughs> if people listen to this interview. But I think using partnerships is vital. It's impossible to create progress without those you know, networks and those people you know. Um, I'm not ashamed to say that I've used my for-profit to get money for my non-profit. I'm not ashamed to say that I've led people in the door thinking um, that a for-profit partnership was something plausible and then flaunted a non-profit um, campaign in front of them, forcing them to kind of walk through the fire in order to work with me. And um, for me, I love that. There's been nothing greater in my life than the ability to sort of in some ways force people to do good acts and um i know it sounds really funny but there's nothing out there that i get a kick out of more than that Um, there's nothing that fulfills me or brings me excitement more than watching people do charity or you know anything we do brings me to a whole nother level i always notice i'm on that next level because it can be 8 or 12 hours and I haven't eaten anything or drank anything all day and I'm just like running on fumes and I'm perfectly fine. And I only get that when we're giving back and when we're doing something. And uh, I, get a, I just love being able to involve everybody inside of it, not just the people who want to, but everybody.
0: <laughs> when you set up that model and people walk in and they kind of don't see what's coming, do you find a lot of hesitancy or maybe anger?
1: Absolutely not. Um, I find a ton of excitement and joy. Um, 99% of people I meet don't ever expect me to say what I say. And then I say it and they're just awestruck by my ability to not really care about what everybody else cares about and my my love for doing good, which, you know, I'm not trying to say I was born like this, I just fell in love with this, um it doesn't make it doesn't make a man like me rich to do charity well as far as you know finances go but there's nothing greater in life than being able to like help the people around you and help your community and the people that I meet and I and that we talk about this um i think they enjoy doing it and they enjoy going through that process with me and then working with me i think that's why Even at like a meager age of 31, I demand and and get a lot of respect from people because um, I'm very focused on working on meaningful things. And I believe people respect that.
0: Today's rapid fire is brought to you by Backcountry.com. Headed on an adventure? Make sure you have the best gear ready to go. Check out PositiveImpactPodcast.com slash Backcountry for all of our recommendations. So life's a balance of work, passion, and adventure. Uh, What's a recent adventure that you've gone on?
1: A recent adventure that I've gone on? uh, It's a good question, I think, because I go on a lot. I forget about them. Um, uh, I took a trip down to uh, Tijuana, Mexico, several months back to uh, go remodel an orphanage that I've been to a couple times. And we had... um, we had went down with a large group and got lost in tijuana and uh my uh the driver who's from Mexico uh, we were outside of the car just arguing talking about how we got lost and how could this happen and we have to get to the to the museum to meet the kids and then go back to the orphanage and there happened to be some just random man with a child walking by and we asked him if he knew where the orphanage was and what is the coincidence that this one guy happened to be the one person all of Mexico that was actually going to that same museum to meet the same orphans and um, he led us down there and the whole trip was obviously amazing as it always is but you know I just don't believe those kind of things really happen to people who aren't on that kind of righteous path like that's just God if there is a God out there and I do believe there is that's just him intervening and just like helping me help other people
0: that's your karma right there many social entrepreneurs find solace and tranquility on the in the outdoors have you found this beneficial in the work that you do
1: absolutely um if anybody's ever visited my office it looks like a forest in the back of it and i spend um much of my time outside gardening and watering and planting and tending to my pond um I love hiking and mountain climbing and just anything outside because it is it is something that speaks to like who we are and who we used to be and where we were and um, what we went through. And I think it's more natural for us to be outside than crammed into an office all day long.
0: With your hiking and your excursions, particularly in the outdoors, are there certain ones that are your favorite or tend to come to mind more often?
1: As far as hikes, and mm-hmm. oh, yeah, um, I do love Half Dome at Yosemite. Oh, that's good uh, I've hiked that like six times and twice in snowstorms, so I hiked it once as the only person on the mountain that whole day, and it was the most exciting. I was with one other person, but it was one of the most exciting things I've done. I also love uh, Mount Whitney. It's beautiful and very high. and um,
0: It's the highest in California. Yeah. <laughs>
1: It, those are my two favorite ones that you can drive to locally, but I've never been to uh, Yellowstone and I'm just that's just on my list like high up on the list. I'm going to make it there soon.
0: You got to go to Yellowstone and you got to go to Glacier National Park. Glacier.
1: I no, will do my best.
0: Oh. Glacier. I mean, Yellowstone's amazing, but you get into Glacier, and it's a hiker's, backpacker's paradise. And it's just this stunning world that's hidden behind the main road. And you're going to hike up there, and you're just going to see these lakes. And they're just everywhere, and they're high up in the mountain, and they're crystal blue because it's all glacier water coming down. Wow.
1: That sounds Um, awesome.
0: What book have you found instrumental in bringing your mission to life?
1: There's this book called The 4-Hour Workweek.
0: Oh, I've read that one.
1: No. The reason that's important is because none of this would be even possible if I wasn't able to manage my time or to understand how to utilize, you know, the power of people and the group and automizing things and on and on. And I've been able to be standing CEO and founder of multiple companies at the same time and I may not get a lot of sleep but just the ability to accomplish all those things and to fit them in such a small amount of time is so much more important than anything else you're doing is time so you have to fight to 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 utilize your time as best as possible. And maybe don't take as much time off as the book implies you're supposed to. I'm just saying you can accomplish everything you need to in four hours and you can move on to the next thing.
0: There's a lot of great efficiency and automation elements to that book.
1: There's some really useful assets for when you're trying to get off the ground floor.
0: There's also another really interesting element to that book of just going and living in other cultures. Mm -hmm. And not even as much just... uh, the cost of living difference that he really highlights, but just the importance of going and... Experiencing. And experiencing it and not waiting for retirement.
1: Exactly. I completely agree.
0: What is your... And if it's the same book, let me know. What is the book that you recommend the most, either to other entrepreneurs starting out or just as referrals to people that you come in touch with?
1: I oftentimes refer people the book that I'm reading most currently just because it seems to be the easiest Um, outside of the four hour work week I'd say there's a book called Influence and the author is Robert Caldini and I I've read that book about five times I think and I find there's so many important tidbits and information about life and our own behavior around people and how to act and how to respond and that book helped me realize how wrong I've been for how long and how so many of my behaviors were I thought they were the proper way but they're actually completely backwards and that even if you're a boss or an employer in charge you need to be the more empathetic more kind-hearted understanding person than everybody else and you don't need to be the smartest person in the room and you don't need to be a lot of things but you know, a lot of the attributes fall into the personality realm. And that's why I love any book that can make me question myself and make me think hard.
0: And really grow
1: something. Exactly. I love, I love being critical on myself. I, you know, I'm one of those people who at the biggest moment of success will walk right over it in a moment and move on to the next thing and just try to find things to, to stay hard on myself because, if you tell somebody they're great, they may feel good, but if you tell somebody uh, a real honest criticism, you give them the opportunity to grow and be a better person and live a better life.
0: Can I also just point out that you were checking your Audible app to get that? I love that. That was fantastic.
1: I wanted to make sure I got I got the right book and the right author.
0: That's great. What advice do you have for recent grads who are looking for meaningful careers?
1: Um, my best advice is, recognize that you're in a semi-broken system and that you need to find a way to get semi out of it. And that success in life don't come from getting a job and getting paid. And it doesn't come from, you know, there's nothing about becoming successful that's easy or that's simple or that's a straight shot. And so um, the thing I always tell, we have a lot of interns at a lot of our firms and they always want this one-on-one time cuz they want to understand how I was able to to become a real estate developer before I was 30. And I always tell them that it's not about, you know, work and what you're doing, it's about, you know, what you need to do and money never comes with those things and success and accolades don't come along until way down the line. And I had to pick up the pieces of everybody else's things and do everything everybody else didn't want to do. To get here, and that's not what we're taught in college, and that's not what we're taught in school we're not we're taught to do what we're what we're good at we're not t- taught to do what we're bad at we're not taught to do other people's jobs for them, but you won't get anywhere if you don't do that.
0: What role has mentorship played in your life?
1: Um, believe it or not, I'm sure there'd be a couple of people if they heard this would be offended, but that's okay, but um, I've had close to no mentorship for me personally my whole life and originally I thought that would be I would search the world for a mentor for a father figure not that I didn't have a father but I'm a very different man than most people and what I discovered is you are making a foolish mistake you were trying to to go out into the world and meet somebody who's going to show you something you need to discover on your own and there are millions of great men and women I've met who've taught me so many things but I have always tried to never really lean on anybody particularly too much. And in the same way, when I mentor people, which I mentor about 5 to 20 people at the same time, all the time, year-round, I always tell them that I'm nobody special and that I'm just mayor and that I'm just a regular person and that they're just as good as me. And And the truth is, nothing I say or or nothing anybody says to me is really you know applicable we only know ourselves and nobody can tell us anything about ourselves and i just love you know independence and i love meeting independent people who who um don't need to necessarily look outward to find inspiration they can just look at their own experiences and their own trials and tribulations and and grow from those things
0: wonderful So the final question for today is do you have a mantra or a motto that really guides your work either with the Dream Builders Project or with Prime 5 Homes?
1: Um, I have a bunch, actually, (laughs) and I always say them. I think we've spoken about corporate karma, but um, the old saying, you know, don't cheat, steal, or lie, Um, I just can't get over that. I've done so many different things in life, And I've cheated and I've stolen and I've lied and I've discovered that, you know, a life where those things are involved is not much of a life at all. And that happiness actually ironically comes when you're being a good person and making other people happy. And so um, I just love, you know, I love to show people that there's so much power in goodness and um, try to stick to that as much as possible.
0: Well, Mayor, thank you so much for your time today. So if people are interested in getting involved, either with the Dream Builders Project or with one of your companies, how do they get in contact with you?
1: Uh, if they're interested in checking out our real estate, they can go to www.prime5homes. That's spelled out, prime, F-I-V-E, homes. Or if they want to check out our nonprofit campaigns and exciting upcoming events, they can also go to thedreambuildersproject.com. That's thedreambuildersproject.com. And we have a overall... Um, Uh, site that kind of shines light on everything we're doing as far as startups and concepts and speaking engagements so you can visit tahanproperties.com and we're available on facebook instagram and all the other social media so please reach out
0: thank you so much thank you for joining us for another inspiring session of mover shakers and change makers creating a positive impact on the world. Head on over to positiveimpactpodcast.com slash episode four for today's show notes. To get a free audio version of Mayer's recommended reading, Influence, The Psychology of Persuasion, check out positiveimpactpodcast.com slash Goodreads. Until next time, keep on doing your part to make the world a better place.